0: This morning, I want to welcome you to our fourth week of Christmas at the Movies. And this week, we're actually going to be doing a movie that wasn't actually a Christmas favorite, a Christmas classic, until 30 years after it came about. As a matter of fact, Frank Capra, who is the director of the film, never even saw it as a Christmas movie. If you've ever seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You may know this, but the only scene that involves Christmas is the end scene as he goes out and does his thing on Christmas Eve. That's the only part of it. It's actually not entirely a Christmas movie. Now, it has a Christmas setting. People will argue about Die Hard and Gremlins and Rambo all have Christmas settings as well, but not exactly Christmas movies either. I don't know if we can classify It's a Wonderful Life in that or not. But with that tidbit of knowledge, I'm going to pick your brains from some other knowledge on what might be inside there, on what you might know about It's a Wonderful Life. I'm not sending the kids out just yet because last week I got scolded by some children that they didn't have a chance to have candy because I sent them out before the trivia. So you're not going to know any of the answers anyway, so we're going to be fine. You're going to hang out in here and learn a few things. If you know the answer to the question, please raise your hand. We have some delicious candy canes that are up here for you to choose from from a prize. Question number one. What actor who had just returned from military service in World War II plays the lead role of George Bailey? Jimmy Stewart. James Stewart. Either way is fine with me. I'll take it. Here you are, sir. Thank you. There you go. Good enough. And we're done. (laughs) Question number two. What is the name of the angel that was sent to be his guardian angel? Johnny? Uh, uh, Clarence Clarence is correct. (laughs) 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 Gabriel? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Let's do Twix. Twix, there you go. Question number three. What is the name of the villain landowner in the movie? Mr. Mr. Potter is correct. Deacon's dad got one. I'm not giving it. You... No, Deacon, he said you could have it. Come on. <laughs> there you go. Question number four. This one's a little bit more difficult. How much money did Uncle Billy lose? $8,000. Come on. Come choose one here. Now, here's a little tidbit of information because... $8,000 is still a lot today, but if you take it and put it in the inflation calculator, the actual total that he lost was more like $136,000. So yeah, that may make may you want to sweat too if you, if you lost that much money. Last one, this would be a kids only question. Hopefully you get this. I know I asked some pretty broad questions unless you watched it last night, you wouldn't have got it. But Zuzu Bailey is the daughter of George and Mary. At the end of the movie, she has a famous line. That famous line says this. Teacher says every time a bell rings, what happens? An angel gets his wing. Come on down, Will and Will. As you come up here, I'm going to have all the kids follow you out that door right there. Thanks for sticking around with us. And as they're heading out, I'm going to have the rest of you go to Colossians chapter one for me. Colossians chapter one. As the kids head out, you do need to understand that is theologically incorrect, and we're not going to be diving into that. That an angel does not get its wings when a bell rings, and so, and it also, Clarence was alive at one point in time, became an angel. That doesn't happen either. But other than that, we can get into this movie and have some fun with "It's a Wonderful Life." Now, if you know "It's a Wonderful Life," if you've watched "It's a Wonderful Life," you probably know that in itself is a sermon series, not just one sermon. There are multiple things that I was looking at to like, which one am I going to focus on? Which one are we going to talk about? The first one that I saw that was, that was very right there that I had to try and narrow down is is that from the very beginning when we were introduced to George, he has a desire and a plan to get out of town. he doesn 't want to be there he 's got all these dreams to go see the big, bad world and do all the fun stuff and spend all the money and go to college and do all this. If you know the movie, you know his plans never come to fruition. In that, I was thinking about this. How many people look back at this time of year? And they look back on the year of 2023 or whatever year it might be, and they say, man, another year gone, and I'm still stuck where I'm at. How often do we think that our plans are more important than God's plans for our life? that's what I saw one of the things we'll touch on that here in a little bit but that leads to another theme running throughout this movie everyone in that movie except for George Bailey gets to go and do gets to go and be successful gets to go and make money gets to go and do all the things live in New York City instead of Bedford Falls he's stuck there and as he's stuck there there's a thought that keeps going through his mind that he is a failure And he gets frustrated by it. And at one point in time in the movie, that failure comes to the place of, I shouldn't have been born at all. I wish I was never even born. And you know what? I think that's a struggle for just about every person in this room at least once in our lives. We look at our lives in frustration and we think we're a failure. and We wish maybe we just weren't born at all. As a matter of fact, as I was considering that for our sermon this morning, I began to think about it. And in that, seen in the ramifications of not being born at all you see there's a movie quote that clarence the angel is talking to george and they're looking at his life as if it was taking place without him and there's something that that clarence says he says strange isn't it each man's life touches so many other lives and when he isn't around he leaves an awful hole doesn't he i begin to think about that and how many lives that we've touched but even more so this way this is the reason for the season. That Jesus came to earth. That Jesus put on flesh. That Jesus was born. What if God had decided not to send his son? You think our lives touch? I mean, you watching the movie, when, when George is absent, that whole movie goes to Pottersville. It becomes awful. All the things. You see, the druggist who he had kept from giving poison to the child has been out of jail for 20 years or uh, was in jail for 20 years you you see um that his kid brother who he saves at the beginning of the movie doesn't get saved and it creates all kinds of other havoc that has ramifications even further down when he's a war hero and saved all the people on the transport boat but how much worse would it be if jesus didn't come how much worse would our world be if there was no influence of God in our lives there is no direction of God in our lives that, then you have another clear sermon in the movie where George is sitting at a bar his whole life is falling apart literally hit rock bottom he's considering suicide he's considering doing all these things there's no place to look up but or no place to look but up and you start and you think about it you go you know in it all he becomes a praying man as a matter of fact as he's praying he says God I am not a praying man but if you're real I need you the desperate prayer of a desperate man that's the sermon in itself and then don't forget the end when George comes to the realization of the true blessings he has in in his life sometimes we get so wrapped up in the day to day sometimes we get so wrapped up in ourselves and what we don't have we miss what we do and that in itself is a sermon. But I think the sermon this morning is the one that is the theme of the movie, at least in my mind. It's a theme that goes something like this. Why am I here? What is my purpose, and who am I in this crazy world? Who am I? And I had you open up to Colossians chapter one, because in it, and the parallel passage that goes with it in Ephesians chapter one, the answer to those three questions really is, uh, found and as we look, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? I want you to listen in Colossians chapter one, verse fifteen through eighteen. It says this: He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Then if you go over to Ephesians chapter one, verses eleven and twelve, again, the kind of a parallel to that, as as Paul wrote to both those church groups, you saw a lot of commonality in what he wrote. He said this in verses eleven and twelve of Ephesians one. In him we also have received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already been put our hope in christ might bring praise to his glory when we look at the word of god the answer to the question of who am i and why am i here is found it's found right here as a matter of fact you'll look on your chair there and there is a gospel tract and if you grew up in the church you might know about gospel tracts um, that was things that people would go pass out at whatever event there was that was kind of the way of sharing the gospel um, never really got too heavy into it but this one in particular is one that's always stood out to me as a matter of fact if you visited with us and ever gotten a visitor packet it's found in there because it asks and it being Vodi Bachum, who's the author of it it asks four very important questions who am I why am I here what is wrong with the world and what can i do to make it right those four important questions are ones that are life's ultimate questions that each and every one of us ask and what i want to do is i'm going to give you that opportunity because you probably know somebody who is struggling with the idea of who am i and why am i here pass that on to them if it's you read it read it and look at it because that's what we're going to kind of break down even today because i'm going to read from it today on the who am i and there's two different parts. There's one where the culture says who you are and there's one that, who God says you are. We're gonna do it a little bit out of order because in the packet it talks about culture first. I'm gonna talk about God first. It says this, who am I? You cannot figure out who you are until you first discover who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. It's what we just read in First uh, Colossians 1. He's exact representation of god he is a picture of god in human flesh he is god on this earth he is god with us he is god among us the bible says that i am created by god in his image and in his likeness as in genesis 1 says not the result of a random process the bible says that whether i am tall and beautiful or small and not so handsome whether my body functions perfectly or severely deformed, I am the crowning glory of the creation of God. And as a result, I have an errant dignity, worth, and value. The next question is, is, why am I here? He says this, all things were created through him and for him. And that in everything, he might be preeminent. That he might have the glory. The ultimate purpose of all things is to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. That is why I exist, and that is why you exist. As a matter of fact, 20 years ago now, over 20 years ago now, there's a now retired pastor by the name of Rick Warren. And he wrote a book that allowed him to not have to ever be paid by his church. That book was called A Purpose Driven Life. And it was a New York Times bestseller for a long time. And on the very first page, and the very first sentence, you know what it said? It's not about you. It's not about you. What a great way to start the book because it's exactly true it's not about us why because our reality is is we are here to bring glory to god not glory to self but our culture our culture is spewing things to the complete opposite things that we get bombarded with and you might even say indoctrinated by 24 7 and in that we have these this is how the culture answers these questions that if you go back in that packet who am i you're an accident You are a mistake. You are a glorified ape. You are the result of a random evolutionary process. That's it. No rhyme, no reason, no purpose. This is a pathetic reality when evolution runs its full course. If the idea is carried to a logical conclusion, human beings have no value. You are ultimately nothing. So why are you here? Well, great question. You are here to consume and enjoy. The only That's the only thing that matters. When the famous philanthropist John D. Rockefeller was asked how much money is enough, he was honest in his answer. You know what it was? Just a little bit more. Just one dollar more. That is the desire and that is the reason why you are here, to consume and enjoy. Well, what's wrong with this world, as that packet goes on to say? People are either, culture says, people are either insufficiently educated or insufficiently governed that's what's wrong with the world people either don't know enough or they're not being watched enough how can what is wrong be made right? well the solution according to the culture is more education and more government teach people more stuff and give them more information how do we combat AIDS? through age awareness how do we combat racism? anti-hate classes what about the man who beats his wife? anger management classes just give people more information and everything will be fine that's what the culture tells you however let's be honest Let's be honest. The answers provided by our culture leave us wanting and empty. Maybe even sitting on a snowy bridge, contemplating whether life is worth it or not. That's where we find ourselves. If we're listening to culture, if we follow culture's line of thinking, we're going to look back and wonder what life is all about. Why do I even exist? I'm just wandering in the darkness, trying my very best to live a life of fulfilling my basic wants and my basic needs All for what? Because nothing is satisfying. Nothing satisfies me. We struggle with our purpose of being here if we listen to culture. If we listen to that line of thinking. Because why do we struggle? It's because we weren't created to consume. We were created to contribute. We are created by God, for God, for a purpose, on purpose. That is the truth that we need to hold on to. We were created by God, for God, by his purpose, for his purpose. That's why we are here. And I'm not talking about here just at church this morning or here as you're just sitting and watching or here as you're listening online. We are here for every breath that we take for that purpose. Every breath is why we were created, to glorify God with our lives. It's why we exist. If we have this truth as our foundation, it literally will change everything. Everything. Everything and i think about it it changes how we live it changes how we love it changes how we spend it changes how we work it changes everything when george bailey came to that realization at the end of the movie does anybody know what he said he said i want to live again god i just want to live again when we come to that realization that we're not living for the garbage of the world we're living for something bigger than us it changes everything the question comes up though is how how do I glorify God with my life? How do I make a difference for the kingdom of God? Well, first and foremost, we need to go back to what Pastor Bruce read up front. It's a theme throughout the Bible, but you heard it read here in Psalm 19, verses seven through 11. Let me read it for you again. It says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperience wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them and keeping them, there is an abundant reward. You know what this passage tells me? It's all about Him. He is beginning he is the end and he's everything in the middle it's all about him it's all about god it's all about him and his power working first in us and then second through us in us and through us because glorifying god and being a difference maker for his kingdom it's not just jumping out there and going full-fledged into it and just willing something into existence Because if you do that, you're just going to be getting burned out. You know what it is? It's starting off with that prayer. God, I just want you to work deeply in me. I I want you to do something inside of me. I want you to change my heart. Oh God, I want you to change my mind. I I I just want you to give me the strength so I can give you my all. I want you to give you or give me the strength that I can trust you with my all. I want you to give me the strength so i can do everything for your glory i need that i need that strength and i really need that wisdom as a matter of fact we were going to break it right down god give me the wisdom to understand my purpose and the strength to live it out that's where we find ourselves that's where we find ourselves and why do we need wisdom and understand because the search for purpose of life has puzzled people for thousands of years the purpose of life has been a mystery for so many and the main reason why is because culture has been telling us to start in the wrong place with yourself and not with God we have self-centered questions like what do I going to do with my life whose life my life what are my goals what are my ambitions what are my dreams for my future my plans to do my things as George Bailey would say that's where we find ourselves in all of this why do we need to ask for wisdom on purpose well because we get caught up in between two choices and those two choices one is speculation the other is revelation and most people lean towards speculation speculation is where people conjecture it's where they guess it's where they theorize on what the purpose of life it is as a matter of fact there's a guy by the name of dr hugh moorhead professor of philosophy at northeastern university he once wrote to 250 well-known writers philosophers scientists and intellectuals in the world and asked them the question what is the meaning of life some offered their best guesses some admitted that they just made up the purpose of life and others were honest enough to say i don't know i'm clueless as a matter of fact multiple of those intellectuals and writers wrote a letter back to Dr. Morehead and said, hey, if you figure it out, let us know. What is the purpose of life? Well, again, there's an alternative to speculation. That is revelation. We can turn to God and what He has revealed about our life in his word. The easiest way to discover the purpose of an invention is to ask the creator why he created it. The same is true for discovering your life's purpose. Ask God, your creator, why he created you. God's not left us in the dark to wonder and guess. He's actually revealed five strong purposes of our lives throughout the Bible. It's our owner's manual, isn't it? Maybe you've heard the the breakdown of it all, of B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. As we begin to look at that, we can look at the Bible and see that it explains why we're alive, how life works, what to avoid and what to expect in the future. These are the things we see and it explains what no self-help book or no philosophy major could ever know. I read from you Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 from the CSB version up front. But let me tell you how the message commentary breaks it down. It says this: It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got up our hopes, He had His eye on us. Had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose that He is working out in everything and everyone. Taken from the CSB, taken from any of the translations, but the message kind of makes it pretty clear here. There are three insights on our purpose. First is this. You discover your identity and purpose through your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is foundational. Second is, this verse is a good reminder that God was thinking of you long before you thought about him. He planned your life before you existed without your input. And in that, you may choose your career, you may choose your spouse, you may choose your hobbies, and many other parts of your life, but you don't get to choose your purpose. Third thing this verse reveals is this, the purpose of your life fits into a much larger plan kind of like we saw with George Bailey, that his life touched so many different lives. Your life touches so many different lives and it's designed not just for now, but for eternity. If there's ever a time you're sitting there going, hey, I just don't know why I'm here. I just don't get it. Why is life the way that it is? Why do I exist in the first place? Let me give you five questions. Five questions to help get you started thinking about God's purpose in your life. And I'm gonna challenge you to set aside Some time to think about these five questions. Yes, I'm going to actually ask you to apply this message today. I want you to truly think about it because it doesn't just affect the rest of your life, but it can affect your eternity. So here's our five questions, and the funny thing is, you're going to see these five questions tie into our church's purpose for existence, our core values that are over here on the screen next to me. You're going to see them tie together. You'll see them on the wall. You'll see them on our website. We bring them up often, and We're going to see that they come into effect as we answer these questions. The first question is this: Is what will be the center of my life? What will be the center of my life? This first question is a question of worship. On the wall, we say, "I can't outgive God." My questions for you is this: Kind of sub questions under this: Who or what are you going to give your life to? Who or what are you going to give your all to? What are you going to live for? Who are you going to live for? What are you going to build your life around? Are you going to build it around the center of your career? Are you going to build it around your family, a sport, a hobby, money, or any other activity? Here's the thing these all can be good things, but they are not meant to be at the center of your life. They don't belong at the center of your life. You know why? Because they're not strong enough to hold you together when life starts to fall apart. You need an unshakable center know who that unshakable sinner is? Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a little story about a neighbor that I have. His name is Doug. And Doug is 88 years old. He'll be 89 in February. He lives alone. He has never been married. He has never had children. Um, the closest kin he has is in Indiana, and she's a bedridden 90-year-old sister. So when Doug needs help, he calls on me or Peyton, depending on if it's computer help or not. And he calls us fairly often. And if you've ever seen The Wedding Singer, when she pays him in meatballs, um, Doug pays us in sourdough loaves. And he always goes into the freezer and pulls them out for us. Well, we've gotten to know Doug pretty well, and I think sometimes he actually calls to have us come over, specifically, um, so we can talk to us. But the other day, he was having a computer problem. He had drug his window down to the bottom and thought there was an error and something was wrong with the computer. So I went over there to fix it. I'm like, all right, let's move this up here and show me what's going on. He's like, wait, how did you do that? And then I sat there for another hour listening to his stories. Well, a couple weeks ago, I was leaving the house. I was running up to the store. And as I was, Doug's very routine. And Doug likes to turn on his lights and have his garage door down before the sun goes down. Well, it was six o'clock at night season. Because every story was about all of his high school days and all of his stories about when he worked on the telephone line and all of his stories about... There was, there was no purpose to it, and I I, I didn't say that to him. I wasn't like, "Hey Doug, your life is purposeless." But the reality is, is it is, because it revolves around things that don't matter. You're talking about all the cars that he's had. That he had a '68 GTO, and he had a '72 Stingray Corvette, and all these, all these lists down the line. Uh, And and I'm like, "But, but why? But what's the point? All those things are gone." They're in a scrap heap somewhere, or some collector's garage, kind of like we talked about with Scrooge last week. What was the point of it all? What is the center of our worship? See, 2 Chronicles 14, 4, King Asa actually told the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors and to carry out the instructions and in his commands. If you want to loosely tie that into a translation, basically like this, put God at the center of your life. Put God at the center of your life because whatever's at the center of your life is your God. What have you committed your life to? What have you committed your life to and what have you moved to the center? The reason why we need to pray for strength and wisdom is because in our daily lives, we always are going to shove God off to the side because something else is going to be there. Maybe that hour on Sunday morning, maybe that Bible study on Monday night or whatever night it might be, that's the only time he kind of gets that shift back. We got to make sure that we are keeping him at the center and we need his strength and wisdom to do it. How do you know that God's at your center? Well, this is it. You worship. When he's not at your center, you worry. If he's at your center, you worship. If he's not at your center, you worry. Because you worry if those other things are going to keep what you need going. Keep holding you up. As a matter of fact, Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. If he's at the center, that peace of God will be there. I've got to keep moving because I'm only on question number one and I've got five. What will be the character of my life is our second question. The character of my life. That question is discipleship. We call it growing people change. What kind of person are you? What kind of person are you? What kind of person are you becoming? Who will you be? Because I will guarantee that God is more interested in what you are than what you do. Because You're going to take that character into eternity, and you're not going to take a career. You're not going to take the things that we've talked about, even with Scrooge, even with the Grinch, the desires of the fleshly world. Sanctification is a word we've used a handful of times. It's the process of becoming more like God because He wants us to be more like Him. So here's a question for a sub question Who do you want to be defined as? Who do you want to be defined as? Do you want to be defined as a follower of Christ or what you do for a profession? you want to be defined as a follower of Christ or what car you drive? you want to be defined as a follower of Christ or what house you live in? Maybe if 2024 approaches as crazy as it is, we're two weeks away from it. Make a list of character qualities you want to work on in your life and develop in your life. And maybe those character qualities can start in Galatians chapter five. Was called the fruit of the Spirit. Or Matthew chapter five, five, which is the Beatitudes of Jesus. Maybe those are the things we should focus on and the character we should have. Third question, what will be the community of my life? What will be the community of my life? We ask this question of connection. I can't do life alone. How will you demonstrate your commitment to other believers and the connection of the family of God? How will we do it? Will you be joined as a functioning member within the church? If you are, who is going to pour into you? Who are you going to pour into? It goes along with discipleship lines from that second question. But the church is a family, and we connect with one another, and we care for one another. That is the point of all. We are a real community, one that will have the difficult conversations and challenge us where is your center? Who are the ones that you're centered on? Where are you Are you connected? What kind of character do you have? It's a church community that we're going to grow together and glorify God in the process and the growing of His kingdom. And I'll tell you, the community outside the church, and unfortunately sometimes it leaks into the church and sometimes the church leaks in. There's a little bit of a gray area in there. But the community outside the church, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And even your friends out there may stab you in the back. Hopefully that's not the case within the church. Hopefully that's not the case within the church. What will the community of my life be? Fourth question, what will be the communication of my life? The question of ministry. The question of mission in the world, or we call it evangelism. Found people, find people. Please know this, God not only has a mission for your life, he has a unique life message that he wants to speak through you to the world. Have you ever heard that phrase? Oh, it's just the story of my life. When do we say that? It's when something bad happens, right? When something garbage happens in our life, the car doesn't start again. The house has a problem again. My, my kids get sick Again, whatever it might be, there's always these negative things. We say, Well, this is just the story of my life. Can I tell you this right here and right now? I keep stepping by this guitar. It is making some crazy noises. I'm gonna walk this way. Can I tell you this though? If you are a child of God, the things that happen to you in this life are not the story of your life. The story of your life is that you are adopted. You are redeemed and you are being used for the glory of God by him and through him for all things, for all time. That is the story of your life. So as we look at this, what is the communication of my life? What story are the people around you needing to hear? What things has God brought you from and to that you can share with people and connect with them on that level? Because before Christ you once were. After Christ you now are. That is the whole picture of baptism. Buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. As a matter of fact, we have a baptism coming up in January. If that's something you're considering and wanting to do, please talk to me. Because that is a great profession of faith as we step out into public and say, This is my communication. As we begin to see the communication within our lives. You also have to remember that most unbelievers won't accept the Bible as credible until that they know that you are credible. So please, in your communication, make it clear of who you once were and who you are now. It's the story of the Grinch, it's the story of Scrooge, it's the story of George Bailey, and guess what? It's the story of you and the story of me who I once was but Christ but God. We all have a story. The ones I mentioned earlier, they all play out on a big screen, but I'll guarantee there's other people that are watching yours. We have that story. Make a difference in the world. Tell it. Fifth one is, is what would be my contribution of my life? Contribution of my life. This is the question of service. The last one on the board over there is is save people, serve people. You make a difference in your world through your story, but you can also make a difference in your church through your contribution. We call them the five T's. Those five T's are time, talent, testimony, treasure, and temple. We already talked about the testimony, but your time. How can you serve with your time? How can you serve with your treasures? How can you make that contribution? How can you, you know, share in your talents, use your body, your temple for God's glory. In our lives, we have to be balanced. We need both a ministry to believers and a mission to unbelievers. We serve both in the church and outside of the church. And we also do that for this reason, not for us, not for our lifting up, but for God's glory, for God's kingdom to shine. That is really the reason why we exist. It's the reason why there are the five things over there because we want God's glory to shine. I'm hoping the reason that you exist and you understand this is to, for God's glory to shine. You know, I asked you, what is your purpose in the world? I'll ask you, what is your purpose in the church? is it just to warm the chair that you're sitting in or to help our YouTube numbers go up online or is there something more? Is there something more? It's a movie coming out Christmas day that I'm actually looking forward to seeing. From the previews, it looks like a leadership, teamwork, uh, underdog sports story. I'm a sucker for underdog sports stories. I love them the movie is coming out called The Boys in the Boat and The Boys in the Boat is about a group of college boys in the depression era that basically need to survive while in college and they join the rowing team during the preview you see this um, expand from just joining the rowing team to actually making it's based on a true story by the way making the 1936 Olympics and the beginning of it all, the coach actually says this. He says, the eight-man rowing team is the most difficult team sport in the world because you have to do your job and you have to work together. And that reminded me of an illustration that I've used before, an illustration probably I've used more than any other. And it comes from a guy by the name of Will Mancini. It's his book called Church Unique. Church Unique. And it's an attunement chart for ministry of a church and the people in it. And funny enough, his uh, his illustration is also a boat. And that's the reason why I kind of connected with it. And as I saw it, here's what it is. If you don't mind pulling up on the screen here for me. You have the vision. Contributions on this side, clarity is here. Do you have contribution to the vision? And do you have clarity of the vision? In a boat, you have four different types of people. One, you have the person who is yes on the contribution and yes on the clarity which means yes I know where we're going and yes I'm going to help you get there we call them the crew then you have the people who would be a yes and a no yes I have clarity of the vision but I'm not doing anything I'm just along for the ride we call them the passenger then you have the person who has no idea where we're going and they have no idea what we're doing but they sure feel it was better than wherever they were at so they're hanging out and we call them a stowaway The final one you'll see on there is yes, I will contribute to a vision but I don't have clarity of the vision so I'm going to try and take this ship where I want it to go and that is a pirate. That is the four people we find within the church. Our goal as a church is to move people into the crew but the book actually gives you a breakdown of what you should do. If you have crew you're supposed to equip and empower them to continue on passengers, you nurture and challenge the passenger to move towards becoming a crew member if you have a stowaway, you find and convert them and move them in the right direction to at least become a passenger and understand the vision and maybe that can grow into but then you have that pirate that pirate who has their own vision, you confront and eliminate the pirate because they're not helping at all I've used this illustration before and after service I had a family actually come up to me and say we're pirates I said well thank you for letting me know that, there's the door. And they completely understood it wasn't a negative thing. They're still friends of mine today, but they knew that they had different ideas than where this church was actually going. And they were trying to get me to change my mind on where God has led it. And so that was the reason why we had that. And and the question would be for you is, where do you fall on that chart? Are you a crew member? Because my goal is get everybody to be a crew member. We had our volunteer dinner uh, on Monday night and writing down all the names, there were 75 names on our volunteer chart. We only have about 90 to 100 regular adults. Now, I can't tell you another church out there that's at 75% or higher of people who are volunteering and serving. That excites me. Yeah, and I'm finally clapping on that one. We have a bunch of kids who are going over to Pastor Bruce's house tonight that are also serving in different variations and different ways. Some of them are back there right now. And that excites me. But if you are not there, can you tell me how I can help you get there? It's where you are understanding the purpose of why you're here in the first place. What conversation do we need to have if you're a pirate and trying to change the ship? Why do I say all that? Why do I ask all these questions? Because this is about your life. This is about who you are this is about the purpose of your life to make a difference in the world and to make a difference in the church for the glory of God going back to those life's ultimate questions says the world's going to tell you that you're an accident and you're only here to serve self and enjoy pleasures but let me tell you this one day we will appear before the judgment seat of God and he's going he's not going to care about the car you drove he's not going to care about the house you lived in or even the amount of money you gave to charity at Christmas time This is what he's going to care about. He's going to care about the answers to these questions. Did you really put Jesus at the center of your life? Did you allow him to develop his character in you? Did you devote your life to serving him and serving others? Did you communicate his message and fulfill his message that he has given you? Did you really learn to love his family, the church? Because these are the things that matter. This is why you are here. Your life matters. It's a gift. You've been put here on purpose for a purpose. Not just to merely consume and enjoy and use the people around you to see it happen. God has so much more for you than that. The sooner you realize that, the sooner you're going to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for today. And thank you for this movie that wasn't even supposed to be a Christmas movie that came out. 60 plus years ago, 80 years ago, that's still speaking to people's lives today. I believe the reason why it's such a holiday classic even today is because people are challenged in their thinking, challenged in why they exist in the first place. And God, in that challenge, I pray that you reveal yourself. There's not just some speculation, but there's revelation. They see you if there's somebody in this room that is struggling with that right now, God, I pray that even through these questions, you are revealing yourself. If there's people in here that are battling between what the world has to offer and what you have to offer, God, make yourself so clear and show that the world really is worthless. Whatever it might be that they're holding on to will fade, but you never will. God, we want you to have all the praise and all the glory, not just this morning, but in every aspect of our lives. Every breath we take is a gift from you. Help us to use it for your glory. We pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front, and I would love to pray with you. I would love to talk to you about who Jesus is. Maybe you're just struggling with this. Maybe you're struggling with why you exist. I'm not going to paint some sugar coated picture that says that everybody who comes to church is just fine. I know we struggle. I know I struggle. Maybe you want prayer with that. If I'm. I already have somebody with me. I know Dave Moore is over here. Dave, if you don't mind raising your hand, you can pray with Dave. I know Johnny's down here in the front. Justin Heppy's over here. These are our elders that you can pray with. We would love for you to take that opportunity to do that. Um, Who am I forgetting? Reese. Reese, I was like, I went right past you. I'm like, I knew there were four. Sorry, Reese. Reese is right here. (laughs) I'm hoping and praying that if you are struggling, that these are people you can come to. And if you're a woman and you don't want to come to one of the men, go to one of their wives. Go to somebody who's sitting next to you. Say, please pray with me. Pray pray that I have the strength to overcome because this holiday season, it's terrible and it hurts and I need something. And that something is Jesus.